Welcome to Depth and Candor. I'm Hiwa Tigitana, and y'all already know, I'm obsessed with living a full and vibrant life, and you are listening to the third episode of this podcast series, and I am so damn happy that you're here. Depth and Candor is designed to help you figure out how to live a life that you absolutely love. On today's episode, I'm sitting in my cozy New York City apartment with Semi W, founder of Tip Tip House of Tea. Tip Tip House of Tea is a social enterprise, and 10% of all of their sales go towards supporting refugees and displaced African youth. When I met Semi, she had just quit her job as a journalist and was working for herself full time. So I really wanted to interview her because I wanted to understand how she made the transition. We talk about how long it took her to go from idea to startup, what resources she used, and how she grew her company. So you will love this episode if you've ever wondered at what point people have quit their jobs to focus on their own businesses, or if you've ever wondered, how the hell do I find my passion, or if you are looking for good business book recommendations. All right. Let's go to the show. A little, actually, I'd heard about Tip Tip House of Tea before you told me about it. Really? Yeah. A yes. mutual friend of ours was like, "Have you heard?" She heard that I was starting Depth and Candor. For real? Yeah. And she was like, "I really want to introduce you to my friend Semi because she started a tea company, and I think it's amazing." Wow, what a great start to 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so you founded Tip Tip House of Tea, and I've been on the website obsessively looking at everything you guys do. Mm-hmm. And actually, you. the first question I have to ask you is about your mission and mm-hmm. your mission statement. When I looked at it, I thought it was going to be about tea, mm-hmm. but it was actually about refugees. Tell us about that. Okay, well, you know, I'm the daughter of refugees, um, of hardworking parents. And, you know, because of that, I grew up watching all my parents' friends and, you know, all those around me um, within my African community just going through a lot of stuff, making a lot of sacrifices. And so when I started my company, I didn't just want to start a company. I wanted to start a social entrepreneurship. I wanted to start a company that had a social mission, you know? And so when I thought about what mattered to me, um, I realized that, you know, refugees and integrating into society um, as an African youth was really important to me because I saw so many other people having a hard time going through it, you know, so things like learning English, adjusting, writing, having to write resumes for my cousins, you know, seeing my cousins, my aunts live with us for a while just so they can get integrated into a new city. Uh, I kind of connected that to the experiences that a lot of African youth are going through now who are dealing with uh, the migration crisis, you Mm -hmm. know, who are leaving Africa, North Africa to go to Europe and then kind of dying on the way there and becoming victims of human smuggling, you know? So I think that is a new level uh, of immigration, of uh, just being stranded that um, that my parents never had to deal with, you know? So that's something I became really interested in. And it's something that like it moved my heart because every time I saw it, I just felt so bad. And I also felt bad that you know, Europe and the news that we hear about migrants are usually focused on uh, Syria and Arab migrants and not so much on the African youth who are coming there and, you know, seeing how they're being treated. 
That's amazing. So tell us, why did you start a tea company then? Why didn't you start something else? Well, because tea is what I knew, you know, and I always wanted to start a food-related business. And the the thing that I wanted to start off with was beverages. And I just, I just realized that um, tea is a big part of African heritage and, you know, the way we tell stories. And, and I was really, I'm really good at making tea. And so whenever my friends would come over, I would make tea like Eritrean or Ethiopians make tea, you know, the spice tea. And so my friends started saying, well, how come you don't just like, how do we do this at home? You know, and I'd be like, okay, just go to the store, do this and this, and that's it, you know? And they were like, I, I don't want to do that, you know? So when I was talking to my cousin about it, she was like, yeah, the people at my work, she used to work at a restaurant, tell me the exact same thing. Like, oh, how do you do it? You know, because she would just kind of make it on her own because she didn't like the tea that she would drink normally. And then when I started to research the tea industry more, I realized that um, it's really sad because African businesses and African farmers still don't really have control over tea. And tea is really considered to be a European thing, Um, but it comes from the South, you know? So the more research I did, the more I realized like, this is a narrative that I'd like to change and I want to start off with tea. Especially because Ethiopian coffee is what's what Ethiopia is known for mm-hmm. when you think about East African beverages. But I wanted to start off with tea because uh, we do have a really big tea culture, but not a lot of people know that or focus on that. Totally. Yeah. Totally. We used to drink tea every day when we came home from school at 4 p.m. Like that was like snack time. Yeah. It's like I, it, I call it the coffee before coffee because, <laughs> you know, when your grandmothers or your aunties do the traditional coffee, it's like they're drinking tea the whole time. So, okay. So how how did you start the business? Doing a lot of research and honestly, trial and error. You know, like I would make tea myself, I would blend it, I would, you know, look at uh, how other companies were distributing their tea. Just like I just really went through trial and error. Mm. I, the only thing I knew was how to make it, but how to like source and organize everything took and how me. To sell. Yeah, and how. <sighs> how to sell is a completely different thing, but like just how to actually make the product, you know, cause it's not like I could go to my parents and be like, okay guys, mm-hmm. how do you do this? Even if they had a lot of money, you know, like it's, that's not available to me. Right. And so, uh, I did have to do a lot of trial and error and, um, it was just really annoying, you know? <laughs> uh, and I think that's the other reason why it took me so long to even get to this point because I started my company in 2011 2012 you know so to have your startup for that long traditionally is not a good thing you know because your the goal of a startup is to be a company you know it's not to remain a startup you know but it took me that long because I had to figure out how to make the product how to make it sustainable enough to sell so it's funny to me that you say you know a startup shouldn't be a startup for that long because the goal is to become a company I funny isn't the right word I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of people have an idea myself included and then we want to go from zero to company in no time and that brings you at least personally and from people I've talked to, a ton of anxiety, right? Because you're like, I'm not successful yet. 
Don't you think that part of it is just you were learning? Maybe you weren't, a co- even though you might have called it a company or an idea of a company, you were just in the learning phases for the first, I don't know, two, three years. And it took you another two, three years to actually become a startup that becomes a company. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, I still think my company is a startup, which I feel like is a good mentality to have. Mm-hmm. But I also think the phrase startup is a really sexy term. You know, like I would rather say my company is a startup than say corporation or a company. You know what I mean? Like it's just sexier right now. And uh, I also think that at the time I don't really it didn't really feel like I was learning. It just sucked. Mm -hmm. You know, I just felt like my company is going nowhere. Like you feel horrible during the entire process, you know, so you only realize it's learning when you're not going through it anymore. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, in retrospect. So that's when you can be like, oh, I was just learning though. I was just (laughs) developing this product. When you really feel shitty, like, okay, am I even doing the right thing? You know? Yeah, absolutely. So you had a nine to five at the time? Yes. Okay. So how did you manage the two? Um, No sleep. Uh, Torture? Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, just no sleep and uh, working long hours, you know? So I think the great thing about transitioning from journalism to uh, business is that in journalism, you have to be willing to work longer hours and also do it on the fly, Mm -hmm. you know? So Mm -hmm. especially in New York, because New York is very competitive and if you don't do it, someone else will, you know? And I also think coming from a really competitive school and uh, difficult programs, even in my undergrad, you know, the expectation of you staying up late or, you know, being able to access a 24-hour library, you know what I mean? Like having that mentality helps you think, well, I don't have a choice. I have to do two things, you know, especially because I'm a first-generation immigrant, you know? So when you see your parents work really hard and just... Like, if you're not breathing, like, you're, that's the only time you shouldn't be working, you know? Like, that's the sort of mentality that I was raised with, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> so I, that's, that's all I, that, that's the only thing you think of, you know? The option of not working only comes for people who have money or c- who can afford to not work. That's absolutely true. I mean, I feel the same way. I... Remember in undergrad, I really felt like I was up all the time. I was a biochem major. I thought I was going to go to med school. And I felt like if I don't do this thing, if I don't stay up all the time, if I don't work my butt off, there's no way that I'm going to succeed. Um, and that has carried through till now. Like oh, wow. when people ask me, what are you doing? I'm like, I I always have shit to do. <laughs> like, I always feel like there is shit that I should be doing because this is not it. Do you see what I mean? Like I haven't reached where I want to reach. So I can't pretend like I'm good. Let me go chill with everyone for a little while. Yeah. The grind is very real. Yeah. Or like if you try to go on vacation and it's like two weeks, you're like, okay, for me anyway, like the third day I'm like, okay, I've seen everything. Like what, what what am I supposed to do? What is there to do? Yeah. Uh, To be, so part of my like brand and what I'm trying to create involves a lot of vacation. And what I mean by that is like- stop this interview (laughs) I'm serious like I want to travel like for a living and 
if that means you're on vacation, which like, I don't even understand why that's considered vacation. Like you should be able to travel all the time and that should be a part of your life if that's what you want. So I don't necessarily like visiting museums, right? So it's not like, oh, I took a vacation and I went to 700 museums. It's like, I went on vacation. I saw a bunch of cool things. I experienced a bunch of really interesting things and I'm trying to build a lifestyle brand. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, you already, you're doing it for a reason. You already have the vision in mind. So it's not like you're mindlessly entertaining Wandering. yourself. Yeah, yeah, which is also great. Um, so how do you rest? How do you take care of yourself? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> One thing that made me realize like, okay, I have to change my lifestyle is um, I have epilepsy, you know? And so I got it, I guess, when I was 25. Interestingly enough, when I moved to New York is when I started having seizures, you know, like halfway through my program. So then when I had to work the two jobs and look for, you know, my internships or, you know, just work in the field, um, like I was not taking care of myself, you know, because I was not raised with the illness. And yeah. so uh, I just kind of, you know, got to this point where like, okay, like I have to figure out a way to do this with sleep and eating well, you know, and not being worried, you know, and the worried, like, I can't change that. That's just who I am, you know, but you know, my lifestyle habits, the eating, how many hours of sleep I get, you know, those are things that I can control and I've started to control. But um, the worry thing never really goes away because like you're, o I'm always looking to grow, you know, but the older I get, the more um, I realize that, you know, number one, taking care of yourself is important because if you don't, like if I keep having seizures, I cannot do the work you know? And uh, it also, when you have seizures, it takes a lot of energy out of your body. So even after you have one, you're just kind of like out of it for the for two days, you know? So that definitely pushed me in the right direction. And um, I just also think, uh, I also came to the realization that uh, it's a really bad sign if I have to be up all night to do one thing or like it, if it, if, if I require to have all of these hours in the week to do three or four tasks, then that means I'm not, I don't know how to manage my time wisely, you know? And I think the more involved you get with your business, the more you realize that time is really money. Cause if you're not organizing your time or if you don't have the time, you're never going to get the money. I want to applaud that so much. So one of the questions I want to ask you is how you balance, how you balance like getting rest. Like what did a day in the life of Semi look like when you knew you had to go to your nine to five, um, but you also knew you had to work on your business, right? Like I want to explore that question, but first I want to talk about what you just said about time management. So I just now I had said about how like when I was in grad school, I used to, um, or when I was an undergrad, I used to stay up all night. I used to work really hard, whatever. And I said, that's translated through. And I think a huge thing that's changed is that when I looked back, I spent a lot of time in the library. Not all of it was productive, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, I was on Facebook for four of the eight hours that I was there. So was I really working that hard? So a big thing that's changed now and I need to work on this is I do more things, you know? So I feel like I'm more effective with the time that I have, but I've just taken on more things. So it's like, <laughs> I still feel like, okay, I need to figure out ways to make sure I'm getting eight hours of sleep. Yeah. 
Um, so talk to us about how you managed and balanced those two things. You mean while I was working the two jobs? Yeah. Um, well, it was definitely, it was really difficult to, to manage that. I mean, I just, I frankly was not, I would, I would be sleeping like five, four hours a night and I do the work, uh, before in the morning and then lunchtime too. And then, um, after work, obviously. But then the other thing I tried to do was I just tried to do the work at my job as quickly as possible to like get off early or use my vacation days or my personal days, you know, instead of actually going on a vacation, <laughs> I would do that. Are you super organized? Like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I think, you know what? I think I'm more organized now. Thanks to technology. Google drive is my child. I love it. I think it's difficult for me a lot of times to be organized, but the one thing I do do is um, I always have a list of thing, like things that I need to be done in a week, and I try to take all the apps that I do use around that around that list. Mm. So, but yeah, no, definitely not as organized as it should be. But I'm more organized now because I only have this job. So. And you have to be, right? Yeah. Like you have more at stake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how did you go to quitting your job completely and working at Tip Tip House of Tea full time? Well, I've always known that I wanted to quit. And it wasn't just because like... I didn't have a mean boss. I had great coworkers. I did like what I was doing. You know, um, I worked at a really big institution. I was getting paid well, which is really difficult in New York City. And, you know, I had great benefits. And I think try leaving that situation is much harder as a as a entrepreneur than it is like, you know, you always hear these horror stories like I got laid off so I had to start my business or I got fired and so I was forced to start my own business. But when you're leaving a really good job, a really good boss, it's so much harder because you feel like you're risking more. So the first thing I did uh, was I, I got a co-working space. And so the times where I would use my vacation days, I was obviously there. And so when I was there, I was constantly surrounded by people who had gone full time or, you know, were in transition. And, you know, it just be, because I was always around that situation, it made me feel like, OK, well, I eventually had have to do it and I and I can do it. And then I also had to save money, especially being in New York City, like you have to pay all this rent. Um, no, nobody cares, you know, first of all. And nobody cares should be the motto for New York Yeah, City. and I don't have a rich boyfriend, you know what I mean? Like, or anybody who feels sorry for me, you know what I mean? Like, my parents are pretty much like, oh, you started this business, that's great for you. I'll pray for you. And so once I fe felt like I saved enough money to take a risk, that also helped. But I... I have a really uh, supportive uh, network of friends, you know, and, um, you know, I would always be asking them for advice and just getting their perspective. Like, you know, am I all just am I just in my head or is this something I should do? And the more I kept hearing, like, no, you should just do what makes you happy, whatever. Just think about it, you know. And then um, when I did finally do it, I went to my HR and they actually made it harder for me to quit, which is what scared me even more because my HR director pretty much said to me like, are you sure, you know, cause like, do you really doing a good job? So you know what, take some time, 
think about it. So I had that. I had an extra week to think about it. And then when I went to my uh, boss, he told me to think about it too. Like, are you sure, you know, we really like you here? Think about it. So I had a, you know, two, three extra weeks to, to think about it, which is really rare, you know? And what I, when I was thinking about it, the one thing I realized was when I said that, you know, I'm interested in resigning, um, I felt relief. I didn't feel scared. And so when I recognized that emotion, that made me think, well, if I feel relieved instead of feeling scared as soon as I said this, then that means I should quit. That's huge to me. You know, like yeah. that, that means I should quit. So, um, and then I talked to a really good friend of mine. She's also a friend of yours, our friend Naomi. And um, she was like, no, that's huge. You need to think about that. And so that really um, pushed me into, into quitting. So you did a lot of the practical things. You did the logical things like saving. You um, took your time to actually think it through. But at the end of the day, it came down to your gut. Yeah, but then I also had a breaking point where, like, I woke up crying. You After? Know? No, like, there was one morning where I just, I woke up crying, you know, because I didn't want to go to work, and I just felt miserable. And, you know, waking up crying, that's only happened to me in very, very few times, you know, but, like... I and I looked myself in the mirror, you know, because I had to get ready for work and my eyes were red. My hair wasn't done. And I really did not feel like going to work, you know, but I had to go. So when I went to work after that, that's what made me go, OK, well, something needs to change here. I need to do something about it because I can't keep feeling like this. What do you think that was? Why do you think you woke up crying? I was just frustrated because, you know, I've been doing this for so long, like working part time and then having to go back to work again when, you know, there's things that you should be doing for your business. You know, I think it was easier before when I didn't have a physical product and it's just in your imagination, you know, it's it's much easier. But then when you see it physically and you you're like, okay, well, it can't just be sitting here. I have to sell it, you know, and you feel this urge, you know, you feel rushed to do something. And so I kind of felt like I was suppressing myself and um, like my goals as mm -hmm. a person because I had the physical proof here, but I wasn't doing anything about it, you know? So I, I that's, that's, it made me anxious, hmm. you know? So yeah. do you feel like it was, it's your calling to be a business person? Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about that because people talk about passion all the time. Like, what's your passion? Figure out what you're supposed to do in life. And if you feel like it was your calling to be in this field, like, how the hell did you figure that out? <laughs> Once I started doing it. <laughs> but you know what? In hindsight, I can't, I really can't say, like, business is my passion. I knew this from a young age, blah, blah, blah. I don't think you know your passion until you just throw things on the wall and see what sticks. You know, you have to try everything to realize what you like. You know, it's very like it's very rare for you to be like, I saw this on TV, so now I want to do it. Most of the time you have to just go through a lot of shit and then be like, okay, cool, I think I could do this. And then you drop it if you don't like it anymore, you know, but that pressure of like, okay, I have to find my passion and then I can do what I want is completely unrealistic to me. Totally. Yeah. So. What else did you try? 
I, when I was in my undergrad, I pursued uh, international relations and public health. I switched to uh, journalism because I wanted to basically be the black Christiana Mampour. Then I went to journalism school. It was great. And then when I started working, I realized I don't really like the lifestyle and um, the type of writing that I had to do to sustain myself. And I had the chance, opportunity to actually meet Christiana Mampour. She gave me great advice. She said, you know what? The market has changed from when I was uh, your age. You know, I basically got to work my way up. There was a structure there. You know, I was a graphic assistant. And then, you know, I had all these mentors to, to go through the levels and people within your generation like you, you just kind of have to like get a camera and go basically for free and um, risk your life and then make a portfolio out of it and hope you get hired. And so I, I started doing like report, I started reporting on fashion and fashion and art. With fashion, I kept on running into entrepreneurs and independent designers. That's who I was attracted to, you know, not really big name fashion houses. And so when I would run into them, it would, they were able to like have this amazing business, even if it was uh, independent and just relax, you know, they would still work hard, but it was on their terms, you know? So I think that also encouraged me to be like, okay, what else could I be doing, you know, aside from the pay? Cause frankly, I'm not willing to work freelance and have no benefits in New York City. And then even when you do land a job at, you know, ABC or Black Enterprise, which are places where I worked, you're not guaranteed like promotion. You're not guaranteed an increase in pay. Like you can get be let go at any time. And I just don't think that's realistic. Mm. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. You went through what did I count three careers, essentially? I guess. <laughs> In hindsight now, like even when I was doing media, I was more interested in the business side of basically how fucked up the industry is. Not even the big names know how they're going to make money like they used to make money, you know. So that is I always found that really interesting. And so maybe that was a clue too. like I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really powerful that you didn't wait for the passion to find you before doing something. And I think that's powerful because everything I see online is about finding your passion. And it really bothers me because I'm like, I think it's ter it's terrible advice. That's what I think it is. And, and it's romantic too, though. Right, which is why it's so appealing. Yeah. And it allows you to procrastinate and it allows you to like sit in your fear, right? Because you can say you're not doing anything because you're waiting to find your passion, mm -hmm. right? Or like it'll come to you. And it's like, ugh, I don't think that happens ever. Um, what are some of your favorite business books? I really love The $100 Startup, especially when I was just starting hearing his advice and um, it helped me accept the idea of uh, being a solo entrepreneur and having that as kind of like a first step to like having an actual startup or a business and also um, how to fly a horse, um, which is a really great book and it's beautifully written. And the author, he just kind of explores creativity um, by looking at um, other brands. And obviously, like Mal Malcolm Gladwell's books, you know, everybody likes that. Yeah. Um, I'll put yeah. all of these books in the show notes, by the way, for the audience. Oh, cool. Okay. 
Okay, so those are your favorite business books. What are your favorite non-business books? Um, my favorite non-business book is probably 100 Years of Solitude, um, which I think everybody should read. It's beautifully written. Um, and then I would also say uh, any any book by Uno Diaz. So this is how you lose her, The Brief and Wonderful Life of Oscar Wow. Um, trying to think of other books, but yeah, I think those are the two classic, like the three classics that I like. It's dope. So like, knowing what you know now, you know a lot more now than you did five years ago. What advice would you give yourself? Start a business sooner <laughs> and uh, get comfortable with rejection. Get comfortable with rejection. If people like your idea, you still have to get rejected. You're never going to be able to avoid rejection. That's what I would say. Good for you, Sammy. I am so excited to have been the first person to have interviewed you because I know for a fact you're going to go on to do amazing things. And I'm going to be so excited to say I was the first one to do it. Yay, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Everything we talked about today will be in the show notes. I hope I don't actually know how to do that. So let's hope I figure it out. If you like this episode, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want more than just the podcast, go to www.depthandcandor.com and join the insiders list so we can be real life friends. And I can send you emails with new videos, interviews, and my personal life lessons. Okay, folks, talk to you next week.